living together before your marriage ain't going to help your marriage. Kirby Anderson offers insight why cohabitation is a bad idea, here on Probe. More than 20 years ago, I did a week of radio programs on cohabitation and cited a study done by the National Marriage Project at Rutgers University. Sociologists David Popino and Barbara Dafoe-Whitehead came to this conclusion. Cohabitation is replacing marriage as the first living-together experience for young men and women. What was true then is true today, but there's even more evidence of changing attitudes as well as additional social research on cohabitation. A survey by Pew Research asked American adults When was it acceptable to live together? Two-thirds said it was acceptable even if they don't plan to get married. Another 16% said it's acceptable only if they plan to get married. And only 14% said it was never acceptable. You know, that may explain why living together has gone from rare to routine in the secular world and also explains why so many Christian couples see living together as acceptable. In the 1960s and 70s, only about a half a million were living together. One study from a few years ago estimated that over 18 million Americans were cohabiting and nearly a quarter of them were people over the age of 50 years old. Another reason to revisit the social phenomenon of cohabitation is to remind couples that the premarital cohabitation effect still exists. Scott Stanley with the Institute for Family Studies acknowledges that it may be counterintuitive that living together would not improve one's odds for successful marriage, and yet whatever else is true, there is scant evidence to support this belief in a positive effect. We'll look at the latest research data later in this week. Since such a high percentage of American adults believe it is acceptable for an unmarried couple to live together, they have developed a new legal document to establish financial and medical obligations to one another. Several cohabiting couples will draft a cohabitation agreement. Such an agreement supposedly ensures certain rights or obligations in the relationship that would typically be legally conferred upon marriage. Although some people will say that cohabiting couples are married in the eyes of God, that is not true. They're not married in God's eyes because they're living contrary to biblical statements about marriage. And they're not married in their own eyes because they have specifically decided not to marry. So cohabitation is without a doubt changing the cultural landscape of our society. That is why we'll be looking at the social, psychological, and biblical aspects of cohabitation. This has been Probe with your host and president of the ministry, Kirby Anderson. If you want to discover how cohabitation will ruin your marriage, get Kirby's free transcript on cohabitation and living together at probe.org. That's probe.org. And join us next time here on Probe. No doubt you have heard couples justify cohabitation by arguing that they need to live together before marriage to see if they were compatible. First, the argument does not justify cohabitation. Second, it is fallacious since so many couples living together never plan to get married. Linda Waite and Maggie Gallagher wrote The Case for Marriage, Why Married People Are Happier, Healthier, and Better Off Financially. It not only makes the case for marriage, it also challenges contemporary assumptions about cohabitation. The thesis of the book is simple. Back in the 1950s, the rules were clear. First love, next marriage, and only then the baby carriage. But the social tsunami of the 1960s changed everything. The pill, sexual revolution, 
feminism, mothers in the workplace, no-fault divorce, and the rise of illegitimate births changed our views about marriage and family. The authors marshal the evidence to show that marriage is a good thing. Nevertheless, the conventional wisdom is that you should try before you buy. In fact, one of the oft-repeated questions justifying living together is, you wouldn't buy a car without a test drive, would you? The problem with such questions and slogans is that they dehumanize the other person. If I decide not to buy a car, the car doesn't feel rejected, and the car doesn't need psychological counseling so that it can trust the next car buyer. Frankly, test-driving relationships are only positive if you're the driver. Research has shown that those who cohabit tend to view marriage negatively because it involves the assumption of new responsibilities that contrast with the former freedoms. On the other hand, those marrying through the conventional route of dating and courtship do not feel constrained by marriage but liberated by it. Consider the contrast. A couple living together has nearly everything marriage has to offer, including sex, but few commitments or responsibilities. So cohabiting couples feel trapped when they enter marriage. They must assume huge new responsibilities while getting nothing that they didn't already have. But couples entering marriage through dating and courtship experience just the opposite, especially if they maintain their sexual purity. Marriage is the culmination of their relationship and provides the full depth of a relationship they have long anticipated. This is not to say that cohabitation guarantees marital failure, nor that marriage through the conventional route guarantees marital success. There are exceptions to the rule, but a couple who lives together before marriage stacks the odds against themselves and their future marriage. Although cohabitation is becoming popular in America, sociologists studying the phenomenon warned that living together before marriage puts your future marriage in danger. That was the conclusion of the National Marriage Project at Rutgers University done by sociologists David Popino and Barbara Dafoe Whitehead. They found that cohabiting appears to be so counterproductive to long-lasting marriage that unmarried couples should avoid living together, especially if it involves children. They argue that living together is a fragile family form that poses increased risk to women and children. Part of the reason for the danger is the difference in perception. Men often enter the relationship with less intention to marry than do women. They may regard it as more as a sexual opportunity without the ties of a long-term commitment. Women, however, often see the living arrangement as a step towards eventual marriage. While the women may believe they are headed for marriage, the man has other ideas. Some men resent the women they live with and view them as easy. Such a woman is not his ideal of a faithful marriage partner. People who live together in uncommitted relationships may be unwilling to work out problems. Since there is no long-term commitment, often it is easier to leave the current living arrangement and seek less fractious relationships with a new partner. In recent years, there has been the occasional study that suggests there is no significant problems for couples if they live together. But Scott Stanley of the Institute for Family Studies dismisses those few studies because they fail to consider the long-term problems, and he points to another recent study that does show an increased risk for divorce among those living together before marriage. The significant increase in cohabitation in the last few decades is staggering. Fewer taboos against premarital sex, early sexual maturity, later marriage, and adequate income to live apart from their families. Couples who live together are more likely to divorce than those who don't. They're less happy and score lower on well-being indices, including sexual satisfaction, and cohabiting couples are often poorer than married couples. 
Even if millions are doing it, living together is a bad idea. As we'll see later, there are clear biblical prohibitions against premarital sex. But apart from these biblical pronouncements are the ominous sociological predictions of failure when a couple considers cohabitation rather than marriage. The latest research backs up what the Bible has said for millennia. If you want to have a good marriage, don't do what society says, do what the Bible teaches us to do. Contrary to conventional wisdom, cohabitation can be harmful to marriage as well as to couples and their children. One study based on the National Survey of Families and Households found that marriages which had prior cohabitors were 46% more likely to divorce than marriages of non-cohabitors. The authors concluded from this study and from their review of previous studies that the risk of marital disruption following cohabitation is beginning to take on the status of an empirical generalization. Now, some have tried to argue that the correlation between cohabitation and divorce is artificial since some people willing to cohabit are more unconventional and less committed to marriage. In other words, cohabitation doesn't cause divorce, but is merely associated with it because the same type of people are involved in both phenomenon. Yet, even when this selection effect is carefully controlled statistically, a cohabitation effect remains. Marriages are held together by a common commitment which is absent in most, if not all cohabiting relationships. Partners who live together value autonomy over commitment and tend not to be as committed as married couples in their dedication to the continuation of the relationship. One study found that living with a romantic partner prior to marriage was associated with more negative and less positive problem-solving support and behavior during marriage. The reason is simple. Since there is less certainty of a long-term commitment, there may be less motivation for cohabiting partners to develop their conflict conflict resolution and support skills. Couples living together, however, miss out on more than just the benefit of marriage. Annual rates of depression among cohabiting couples are more than three times higher than they are among married couples. Those who cohabit are much more likely to be unhappy in marriage and much more likely to think about divorce. Cohabitation is especially harmful to children. First, several studies have found that children currently living with a mother and her unmarried partner have significantly more behavioral problems and lower academic performance than children in intact families. Second, there is the risk that the couple will break up, creating even more social and political difficulties. And third, many of these children are not born in the present union, but in a previous union of one of the adult partners, usually the mother, and living in a house with a mother and an unmarried boyfriend is tenuous at best. You know, these studies, along with others, suggest that cohabitation is less secure, less fulfilling, and even potentially more harmful than traditional marriage. Tomorrow, we'll look at what the Bible says about cohabitation. God designed sexual intimacy to occur exclusively within the sacred commitment of marriage. When we trust in God's design, we can honor marriage as we are commanded in Hebrews 13, verse 4. The Bible teaches that the act of sexual intercourse can have a strong bonding effect on two people. When done within the bounds of marriage, the man and the woman become one flesh. Ephesians 5, 31 says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
Sexual intercourse outside of marriage also has consequences. Writing to the church in Corinth, Paul said that when a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. The context of the discussion arose from a problem within the church. A man in the church was having sexual relations with his father's wife. Paul calls this relationship sinful, and in 1 Corinthians 6.18, he says we are to flee sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is condemned in about 25 passages in the New Testament. The Greek word is porneia, a word which includes all forms of illicit sexual intercourse. Jesus taught in Mark 7, verses 21 to 23, from within... Out of a man's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Paul taught in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 5, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Marriage is God's plan. Marriage provides intimate companionship for life. It provides a context for the procreation and nurture of children. And finally, marriage provides a godly outlet for sexual desire. In the New Testament, believers are warned against persistent sin, especially sexual sin. The church is to keep believers accountable for their behavior, and believers who judge themselves lest they fall into God's hands. Sexual sin should not even be named among believers. You know, living together outside of marriage not only violates biblical command, but it also puts a couple and their future marriage at risk. This week, I've collected several sobering statistics about the impact cohabitation can have on you and your relationship. If you want a good marriage, don't do what the society says, do what the Bible teaches us to do.